Church, welcome to 2021. Let's stand and give the Lord praise. This is Amazing Grace. Who brings the power of sin and darkness, whose love is mighty and so much stronger, the King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder, who leaves us breathless in all and wonder, the King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unveiling love that you would take my place, that you would bear sing for all that you've done for me. Who brings our chaos back to order? Who brings our chaos back into order? Who makes the orphan a son and daughter? The King of glory, the King of love, all kings.
Amen. Let's bow before the Lord. Lord, we come to you, Lord, and we just want to give you praise and all glory and honor that you deserve. Lord, we want uh, this uh, new year uh, to be one, Lord, that we follow you like never before, that we love you, that we honor you, that we adore you. Uh, Lord, that we serve you and we witness for you and we represent you like never before. Lord, we pray that you would just give us uh, uh, a year that... Uh, your, your great name would be glorified and honored by every one of the members and attenders of First Baptist Church of Ozark, that we would truly be a light in this community and in our world. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, please be seated. And um, by the way, I apologize. I think I, I made a, a, a misspoken uh, comment there. Worthy is the lamb that was slain was before the foundation. It was, it was throughout all eternity. Amen? Uh, way before the world began. Um, this is, a, uh, is a, uh, a connection card, and we want you to fill that out. So please uh, put your name and address, phone number and everything on that, especially if you uh, are, have been with us maybe just for the first or second time. We'd love to know who you are. And, and so please uh, fill out information on the back as well. Uh, if you're a member or regular attender, there's an op opportunity to put comments and prayer requests on there, and we will be faithful to pray for those. So please, please, please uh, do that and then put that in the offering plate at the end of the service, all right? Um, all right, we're going to sing a great old hymn. A lot of times we sing it uh, as, as an invitation hymn, but this hymn just reminds us of the grace of God is greater than our sin. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our gift.
standing as we read God's word. Um, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. Now this is the verse that many believe that Charles Wesley was contemplating when he wrote this hymn, And Can It Be? The third verse. And uh, so when we get to that third verse, listen to, sing that carefully, listen to it closely, and see if Charles Wesley's salvation experience mirrors your own, mirrors what we just read, really. How God just shone a light and all of a sudden, it was all revealed to you. His, his, his gospel, his, his, his beautiful salvation came to you. See if it happened that way, okay? Let's sing together. Oh, 
raise our voices, sing that once more. Amazing love, how can it be that my God should die for me?
And all God's people said, Amen. In at least two of the songs that we have praised God for, and we lifted our voices to Him, the Lord is my salvation, we had the refrain and the repetition of glory to God, our Father, and the Son, and the Spirit. And then a little earlier, we sang praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. Why? Because our God is worthy of blessing and honor. And that has been the theme that has been driving chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. God is worthy of blessing and honor because our God is the one who blesses us. Today we are going to finish out, praise God for redeeming us. Now, think back with me. We have basically been studying the gifts that our God has given us in Christ in our salvation. Just think for a moment. Election, adoption, redemption. Glorious truths and gifts that have been given to us. But have you ever stopped to consider that in addition to these wonderful realities bestowed upon us in our salvation, God has also given to us a new world view. We see things differently. God has arranged it in such a way that he would give to us the mystery of his will. And let us know that all things will be summed up and united in Christ Jesus, the Lord. That's a good word for 2021, is it not? Chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Let's get a running start. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. In the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And here's the verse, here are the verses for today. Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, Things in heaven and things on earth. Let's pray, Father, only you can open eyes and hearts and minds to receive and to embrace your truth. The Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. There are some things we just cannot do. And Lord, we cannot affect change in people's lives without your word and without your spirit. That's what does it. God, may you 
open our hearts and minds to hear the word today. And more importantly, may what we hear, may we apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in verses 9 and 10, Paul praises God for giving his children the revelation of his will that should form our world view and the life that we live now on earth. Now folks, think about the magnitude of this. We're still in the mode of praising God. When is the last time you praised God for changing the way you think and the way you live? We like to thank him for the big things, election. We like to thank him for adoption and redemption. But Paul praises God for what his grace does in our minds and in our thinking. Scholars tell us that verses 9 and 10 are the climactic note of the passage. Now, that's saying a lot, isn't it? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then if you skip down to verse 9, for making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to sum or unite all things in heaven and earth in Christ. Wow. So structurally, grammatically, uh, in the Greek, Peter O'Brien says, syntactically and structurally, this bringing together is the high point of the eulogy. And what we know eulogy means is a, from the Hebrew word, to bless God. So scholars say, of course, that this is the climactic point of verses 3 through 14. That's a mouthful to think that that is the end goal of all things, to sum all things up in Christ Jesus. I want to remind you that we are living in very unsettled times. But I also want to remind you that history is going somewhere. Isn't that good to know? That history is going somewhere. God has revealed a plan to us. And that plan centers on Christ, our Redeemer. And what is this plan? Our God will unite all things. Things in heaven and things on earth in Christ. This is what we would refer to as the cosmic dimension to God's eternal plan. The very universe longs for this uniting of all things in Christ. Let me show you Romans chapter 8. Verse 4, Romans 8 verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy, are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 20 is key. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Y'all know today that even creation groans for Jesus to sum all things up in himself. That's exactly what the Bible tells us. How about people that are believers that live in this fallen world? You ever groan in your spirit that God will make all things new? If you're saved, you should. Because the Bible tells us that we should. We know that paradise was lost in Adam. But it was restored in Christ Jesus. John Stott said it well. In the fullness of time, God's two creations, his whole universe and his whole church will be unified under the cosmic Christ, who is the supreme head of both. Now, I cannot think of a better thought or a scriptural passage that would be better for us to embrace just inside the door of a new year like 9 and 10 of Ephesians 1. 
We need to hear this. And since we took our break during the Advent season, allow me to remind you of the context. We began by praising God for electing us. And how does that look? Well, he chose us in Christ. Not because of us, but in Christ. He chose us before the foundation of the world. He chose us to be holy and blameless. He chose us in love for adoption. He chose us according to the purpose of his will. And ultimately, the penultimate ultimate thing, God chose us to the praise of his glorious grace. And then we began to study God's grace in redeeming us. And how did he do so in Christ? He redeemed us through the blood of Christ. And then second, God redeemed us according to the riches of his grace. And if you look at the text, this is what we are fleshing out. We talked about he lavished that grace upon us. How? In all wisdom and insight. And then that leads us to this, the next two things we want to see in redemption. Number one, God's grace makes known to us the mystery of his will. It cannot be clearer. Making known to us the mystery of his will. Where are the Christian thinkers in our day? Where are church members who actually think with a Christian mind? Is that not a good question? Because this text indicates that God has revealed to you the mystery of his will. In other words, that, that affects the way you think and the way you live and how your mind functions. Now, God's work in salvation is not merely to give us the forgiveness of sins. Our salvation is designed to make you into a Christian thinker who glorifies God with your mind because we have a Christian worldview that makes sense out of history, that makes sense out of the present, uh, that makes sense in the uncertainty we feel that's in the future. However, with the mind of Christ, uh, I would suggest to you that there has been a mind transformation if you're saved. And that mind transformation, church family, is just as important as the moral transformation that took place in your life. Now look, that's an important statement. When God saved you, we, we want to think of moral. But what about the mind? We, we want to put our thoughts upon the day we trusted Christ. Woo, repented, God forgave me, I'm in the kingdom. But what about now? Well, has it made a difference in your life? Has it transformed you? We are far too narrow in our understanding and view of salvation. We assume that we just pray a prayer and God forgives and that makes us a Christian. But in reality, when you become a Christian, a person has been transformed both in heart and mind. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and spirit. In reality, a Christian is someone who's been transformed. And you've been transformed in heart and mind. So in these verses, we have a Christian worldview. And I believe with all my heart that these verses uncover the gross deficiencies that the average church member has regarding salvation. We have gross deficiencies when it comes to a true understanding of what salvation is. And it's so awesome. It's so, it's so unequivocally true in life. You see it in actions and practice among believers. You see it uh, with Facebook posts. Hello church family. 
Don't put stuff on Facebook when you don't think it through. If you don't have good theology, the last thing you need to do is put it on Facebook. It bears witness against our entire church, your husband, your wife, when you put things on there that you haven't thought through, right? We need to make absolutely sure that what we put on there is issues that have been transformed in your mind for the fact that you're a Christian and God has revealed to you the mystery of his will. We should act accordingly. So, we should praise God that he has granted to us the mystery of his will. And when he does that, what should govern our lives? His will. He's granted that to you. So, we should think thoughts that are determined by the revelation that has been granted to us. Note the strength of this. He gave to us the mystery of his will. He made it known to us. So, in a lot of ways, I think this passage is pretty clear, isn't it? He made known to us the mystery of his will. However, grammatically, uh, there's some difficulties here when you go through it. Uh, one thing is clear. God has to initiate revelation. The Bible says he made known to us the mystery of his will. So God has to initiate the re revelation. He made it known to us. And folks, I want to remind you that this is what Paul is praising God for. And we as a church ought to praise God that he has made known to us the mystery of his will. Do you understand how huge this is? How important it is? There is something that God has made known to us. Why does he have to do that? Because in our ignorance and blindness, it makes it a necessity that God gives us insight and wisdom and revelation in order for us to know the truth. It is a necessity. The Bible is clear that the natural man cannot embrace the things of God. If you want to read that, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural man cannot discern the things of God. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. We do not possess the mental faculties to embrace God's truth in our lost state. Now, a lost person can look at the truth and you can make some kind of cognitive determination about what that truth is saying. But you and I, apart from Christ and his revelation, have no ability mentally or spiritually to embrace that truth and make it our own. That's what the Bible teaches. Ephesians 4 will tell us in a few weeks, in a few months, maybe in a few years, right? When we get to Ephesians 4, it's going to tell us that our, our mind was darkened in ignorance. And the Bible tells us in Colossians that we are alienated from the life of God in our minds and our actions. Alienation, what a strong word. Let me show you Romans chapter 8. We've just been there, so thump your scripture text and it ought to jump back to Romans 8. Here's what the Bible says in verse 7 of chapter 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can not. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So the passage that we've just read talks about the inability of the mind to embrace the truth. It talks about the total depravity of our minds. It is the mental effects of the fall, of original sin, that necessitates that God initiates the revelation. Notice, folks, we're not making this up. He made known to us the mystery of his will. Why does God have to do this? 
because of our sinfulness and our finiteness, it makes the revelation of God a necessity. If we're going to know Him and who He is, if we're going to know our sinful condition, and we're gonna, if you're going to ever know your need for a Savior, you've got to be given the mystery of His will. You've got to be given divine revelation in order to know that you need to be saved. Can't you see that redemption is not only God doing something for us, it is also God revealing something to us. And that makes redemption unbelievable. That God Almighty would not only do something for us to save us, but actually do something in us in order for us to understand the truth. And thus, Paul, let's get back to the brass tacks. He is praising God for this. When's the last time you praised God that he has given you the mystery of his will? That he changed your mind and your heart, transformed your life. This is actually what it says in verse 8, does it not? Let your eyes flow back up. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He did this through wisdom and insight in order for us to understand the truth. There was a time you were blind and could not see. God opened your eyes to the truth of the gospel. He took the initiative to reveal truth to you. You did not possess in your natural state, nor did you have a desire to want to embrace truth. The Bible actually makes it clear in Romans 1.18 that we're not seekers of truth. We actually suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So for us to ever get from death to life, for us to ever get from darkness to light, God must do something. God must reveal truth to us. Please keep in mind that the revelation of truth given to you by God is not something God does initially at salvation and then leaves you to yourself. And this is what boggles my mind in Christendom today. Everybody puts their stock in the initial day when you pray to prayer. But you have to search hard and long to find people who actually live out that life. Is that not true? I want to remind you, this is what this text is prodding us to see. God is not just doing something initially in your salvation. God is doing something in your life forever once you trust Christ as your Lord. God continually does this in his people. Let your eyes move down through the text and look at verse 17. Let's start in verse 16 of chapter 1. The very thing I'm preaching is what Paul prays for. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Y'all seeing that? You've already believed initially, but this wisdom and revelation and knowledge is something that not only do you have initially when you get saved, but you have it in your life. So, the word of revelation that brings you into redemption is also the word of revelation that continues throughout your entire Christian life. So in other words, to be a Christian is not only to have the Holy Spirit open your eyes and mind to the truth of the gospel, but it is also to be continually taught by God and given wisdom and knowledge and understanding from the Word and the Spirit in order for you to live the Christian life. So to be a Christian is much larger than just having your sins forgiven and saying, well, I've entered the kingdom of heaven. In reality, to be a Christian means that you're going, undergoing right now in your seat where you're sitting a process where God is transforming your heart and mind. 
Folks, this is serious. Because if there's no change, there's, if there's no fruit, there's no change. So this is something that's ongoing in us. How do we know that we can walk worthy in a manner, or we can walk in a manner worthy of our calling? It's because you've been filled with spiritual insight and wisdom. <laughs> that's how you walk worthy of the calling. Why? Because you've been filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So in this passage, there's some specific content that God has made known to us. And what does the text say? He's made known to us the mystery of his will. He did it according to his good pleasure, which he set forth in Christ as a plan from the fullness of time. That's the content of the mystery. What is a mystery? Some of you probably watched some of those in the last few days on TV, right? In other words, it's not, this is not an issue of who did it, right? We watch a, a mystery. We watched one on the 2020 the other night. We watched one on, about a mystery. How does this thing unfold? Well, a mystery in the Word of God is something that is hidden, that God now has revealed. And the kicker is, it cannot be revealed apart from God giving you the truth. It's something that only God Almighty can reveal to you. That's the biblical definition of, of something that is a mystery. Can I show you an Old Testament? Not a one-for-one -one comparison. However, a full understanding of how God himself is the only one who can reveal truth. Y'all know the book of Daniel? Y'all ever been there before? You've got it memorized, right? You don't even need to turn because you've got it in your mind. No, here it is, Daniel chapter 2. Let me show you how this works in Daniel's time frame. Verse 27 of Daniel chapter 2. It would be good for you to look at these scriptures. Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. I like that. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be hereafter. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. And Daniel says, for as of me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all, living, all, all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to you, king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Now verse 47 the king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. So, the mystery of God's will in connection with the Old Testament is something that only God can give. It's truth that only God can give. When you get to Ephesians 1.9, it's God's eternal purpose, which is a unified plan with cosmic dimensions that have to do with Christ. And only God can give to you that understanding. That is what the text says. So the mind of God, the plan of God, the eternal purpose of God has been made known to us. That's amazing. That's a good word. It's a good word for 2021. The very plan, mind of God has been revealed to us. The world we live in believes that any thought of a religious system 
that they have is valid to a Christian's. In other words, if you can think it up and, and, and you are sincere about that particular truth, then all truths are created equal. Well, the problem is if these truths contradict one another, somebody's got to be wrong. Are y'all listening? My view on religion, people say, is just as good as your view on religion. Well, my thing is, are you going to trust something that originates in the heart and mind of man or something that originates in the heart and mind of God? There's a major difference here. We are not the fountain of truth. You are not even a mud puddle of truth. And neither am I. Truth comes from God. Truth is the revelation of the mystery of the will of God. Think about this for a moment. Stop and think. God has made this known to you if you are saved. 1 Corinthians 2.16, Paul says, We have the mind of Christ. That's amazing. So, is it any wonder that Paul praises God for this? Praise God that he has revealed to us the mystery of his will. It is the mystery of his will itself, which is his good pleasure. Certainly, do you think God delights in making his will known to us? But grammatically, here's the deal. It is saying that his will is his good pleasure and his good pleasure is his will. That's what the passage says. So if we carry on here, what does it say? The Bible says, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, is translated to the good pleasure of his will, which he set forth in who? Christ. So God's good pleasure has been purposed in Christ. Are y'all staying with me? If you sleep and snooze, you're going to lose today. Right? The very center of everything God does is Jesus Christ. That's the strength of set forth in Christ Jesus. In other words, Jesus is the sum and substance of the plan of God. He's the sum and substance. This leads us to a conclusion. And the conclusion is, the world does not revolve around me and you. It's not about me. It's not about you. In ultimate reality, everything revolves around Christ. That's why it says this plan, this administration is set forth in Christ. We live in a universe that revolves around one. It may look chaotic, but I'm telling you, we live in a universe that revolves around one and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what Paul is saying. Now, when you get to this point of the passage, as a plan for the fullness of time, we've got differing translations. Depending on if you're holding an ESV, NASV, New King James Version, whatever you're holding. The ESV at this point says a plan for the fullness of time. Right? If you hold in your hand a copy of the New King James Version, it says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times. I put beside my copy of the Word of God all the time what's called the New Living Translation. And I'm strongly suggesting to you that you should too. Alright? Now, ESV is a wooden literal translation like the NASB and the, and the New American Standard. But the New Living Translation, hear me, not the Living Bible. The New Living, the new, the Living Bible is a bad 
paraphrase, okay, for the best way to say that. The NLT is a thought-for-thought translation in the Greek, okay? Here's how that reads. Here's how the NLT reads this. Catch close. God's secret plan has now been revealed to us. It is a plan centered on Christ, designed long ago to his good pleasure. And this is his plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. That's good. Is that not something good for us to hear in 2021? That God is going to do this. That's the focal point. That's the sum for everything to be united in Christ. The NAS uses a term called the administration. That's a good translation. Why? Because the word actually means an administration of a household. Now, when we think about God administering a plan, now think about this. It could mean the act of administrating something. It could mean that which is administered. Or it can mean the administrator of the arrangement or the plan. Here it seems obvious that God is talking about something that is arranged or his plan. How many of you take vacations? Hmm. Now, we haven't had any. I don't think any of our staff pretty much because, I mean, COVID's kind of locked us down, right? And we just, we'd be better off to stay in our office and close the door and put on our mask. Right? We can always study the word, amen? But think about vacations. I like to have my vacation planned out. I want to move toward a goal. Now, for some of you, you just like to jump in a car and just take off driving. How do you know when to come home? How do you know anything if you don't plan? I, that's just my thing. If there's not a goal, if there's not a plan. Uh, we did Mr. Ortis's funeral yesterday. And Miss Marianne told me, she said, Ortis was a planner. He retired in 2006, and that gave him the opportunity to take his digital camera and go all over the United States of America. But Ortis always had a plan. And he was hoping that plan would always end up with a few photos of a bear or uh, things of my own heart, right? A deer, something like that. But planning. So think about this. If we are smart enough to make plans for a vacation, don't you think Almighty God of the universe was intelligent enough to make his plans? And when he made those plans, he's going to work out his purpose. And that's exactly what this text says. He is administrating a plan. He is arranging it. And to sum it up, God has revealed his will to us, which would be a mystery otherwise if he didn't reveal it to you. He has revealed his good pleasure, which he purposed in us. Christ is the reference point, And God is arranging and planning and administrating what we call redemptive history, which finds its full completion in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. God has a plan, and that plan is the good pleasure of his will. God has good pleasure, and that good pleasure is the administration of his will. For instance, can you hear the maturation of this plan clearly in Galatians 4.4? In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Y'all know what Christmas is? Look up here. We've been talking about the advent for four weeks, right? In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born under the law, that he might. Folks, that's part of the phase of the administration of the plan of God. And that plan will be brought to fruition, and it will not fail. God is doing this. God is in control of time and history. Our God is administrating in successive phases. 
He's bringing about the fullness of time in the events that he has accomplished. Listen, every event, every person, every sunrise, every sunset, all fall under the administrative hand of Almighty God that is moving in our times. That's good news for 2021. God is in control. There's no accidents with God. It's God's administration. Everything is going according to the plan of Almighty God. And what is the plan and what is the goal? That's point number two. Now notice how I've worded this. God's grace. If it were not for God's grace and redemption, you would not know this. God's grace and redemption will unite all things in Christ. Look at verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite. Is this not pretty exclusive and inclusive, right? All things. In him, things in heaven and things on earth. What does this mean? Well, in grammar, it is an infinitive of purpose. The purpose is to bring all the strands of the passage to focus upon this part. That little expression summing up. Or to unite all things in Christ. Best way for me to tell you. God has given you the bottom line of all things. That, that word in the Greek means to, to sum those things up. It's, it's like you're calculating things up to an end. And God calculates everything based upon Christ. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones is my wife's favorite preacher. To my chagrin, right? It's just the way it is. I know Brother Andy has listened to Martin Lloyd-Jones. He preached in Ephesians for 10 years. You guys are in trouble, right? Uh, 10 years. And here's what he says about this particular passage. He says, this is the key to the understanding of the chief practical purposes of the epistle of Ephesians. You know, we put out there on our sign, uh, we glorify God because we are, our salvation is in Christ, something like that. We literally could have put out there, God will unite all things in Christ. That, that's the book of Ephesians. It is. Doctrinally, you learn it through the first three chapters. And practically, you begin to learn it in chapter 4. You want it practical? Look at me, you lugs, men. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's practicality of summing all things up in Christ. Wives, you want to hear it? Submit unto your husbands as to the Lord. Is that making sense? It's really all summed up in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So our God is totaling up all things in a final calculation, and it's Christ. The word used for gathering things together means to present them as a whole. Please note what we've seen so far, folks. When God saved you and redeemed you, he made known to you the mystery of his will. And that will is nothing less than his own good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. That in the reference of God's administration in the fullness of time, all things will be brought together in Christ. We might say, well, that's the top line of the administration. Or we may say, that's the bottom line. Whatever we want to say, the fact of the matter is our God will sum all things up in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. He's going to bring things to a unified whole. He's going to bring everything back to harmony. Now, folks, when we say bringing things back to harmony, what does that assume? That all things are not in harmony. It assumes that the world is in chaos. This is what sin has done to us. And this is why God's plan to unite all things is a necessity. This world is outside of Christ. The Bible says for us to be in the world, but 
not of it. This world is outside of Christ. So the grand goal of what God is doing, this final act, if we were to say it that way, the fullness of time, is that all things will be summed up in Christ. Now we know every knee is going to bow. We know every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. But herein it's ratcheted up even more. All things are summed up, totaled up, brought together in Christ. In other words, folks, listen, Christ alone can gather us into unity. Not a president, not a foreign dictator, only the king can unite us all together. This is what has been shared with us. God will ultimately restore original harmony and will reunite all things in Christ Jesus. Here's the deal, folks. God is moving for a purpose. God is moving for a purpose. And this includes heaven, heavenly realms, and earthly realms. What do you know about the heavenly realms? Well, how about angels? How about Satan? How about demons? They're going to be in subjection to him. In other words, God is working in two ways, salvation or judgment. To unite all things in Christ, it will be through redemption and salvation and grace, or it will be through judgment. What about things on earth? Well, all humanity and even the creation itself that groans for the coming of Christ. Sin brought a revolution, folks, in heaven and on earth. Mankind is in rebellion. The enemy is in rebellion. The world itself groans under the curse. Yet Christ in all of his glory has begun a new order. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So God is going to restore. All things will be restored to proper order. Do you ever sit around and think that this world is just shrouded in unreasonableness? If you're a believer, then that's an obvious thing to you. There's a lot of unreasonableness going on in this world. And unfortunately, we get sucked into it, hook, line, and sinker. Humanity is the most unreasonable lot that has ever donned the universe. Just look around. Just look around. Why is there such a huge gap between the joy and sufferings of life? This is kind of where the rubber hits the road, right? Why the heaviness and the sorrows, and they always outnumber the joys? Why is that? Well, you have one of two choices this morning entering just inside the door of 2021. You can believe that this world is a product of a benign, blind watchmaker who doesn't know anything and can't control anything. Or, with the eyes of faith, you bank all your hope on the biblical revelation that our Father is the God of gods. And He is administering this world according to His own wise, holy plan. I don't know about y'all, but I take number two. According to this text, he has given to you the mystery of his will. He has revealed truth to you. And the ultimate part of that truth revealed to you is that God Almighty will sum all things up and unite all things in Christ Jesus. Now, we may not understand everything. We may not see all, everything. And we may even be tempted to unbelief. As the hymn writer said, Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, God, take and seal it, seal it to thy courts above. Folks, do you know the rock this morning on which you stand? Ephesians 1, 9 through 10 should be a hallmark text of scripture for your life. No matter what you're asked, 
God has given to believers the mystery of his will. And God's will is this. He's going to unite all things together in Christ Jesus. That's good. That's what we need to say. That's what we need to know. God's pleasure has worked itself out in us when he saved us. But he's also continuing to do this. And he is moving everything to the consummation of the age when all things will be united in Christ. There is a divine purpose that governs this world. It also says and means that there's meaning to history. When we look back on history, we don't see just random acts. We don't see things totally chaotic with no administration. As a matter of fact, there's nothing truly chaotic about the past. There's nothing truly despairing about the present. And I'm telling you now, there's nothing uncertain about the future when you belong to God. When you belong to Him. So God is sovereignly administering the fullness of time over all things. And He's in complete control no matter how it looks to you. God himself is in control. So he is ordering, arranging all things now. Moving toward bringing Christ. He did it the first time. And he's going to do it again. Have I told you lately that Jesus Christ is coming again? And just like God administered the first coming in the fullness of time, he's going to do it again. And I hope, folks, church family, that these truths... Give us a revelatory foundation and a worldview so that you can understand past, present, and future. That's what this text is designed to do. God has not left his people as victims in this world. Our God is in control. And God has not left his people victims of chaos and death. God has revealed the mystery of his will. Paul tells us that God should be praised for revealing to us the mystery of his will. And we ought to praise God for it. God, we praise you for giving us the mystery of your will. And this gives us a center point and a worldview. We ought to interpret life through Ephesians 1, 9 through 10. Now, I don't know about you, but individually sometimes I feel like, Lord, this process is long. And it's our song in the night, can we not? The process is long. Steve Green said in a song years ago, and it seems that you're losing your song in the night. Here's what he said. But you can be sure. That he has his hand on you. You can be sure. That God has his purpose and pleasure fulfilled in you. You can be sure of that. Right? Happy New Year. Let's pray. Father thank you that you have revealed to us the mystery of your will. And that mystery tells us that you're going to unite all things in Christ. And Father that ought to make a difference in the way we live. The way we think. What we say. How we view the world. We're not in a situation where we're just spinning around in in circles with no determined plan. History is linear with purpose. And Lord God, you're going to sum up all things in Christ one day. You're going to total it up. And everything focuses on Jesus. Father, if there's one individual under the sound of my voice that hasn't surrendered to the lordship of the king we're talking about. God, may you work in their hearts. Only you can open the eyes and hearts of man to be able to see the truth of the gospel. And God, when you do that, would you work a work of grace of belief in the hearts of your people. Faith and belief. Two sides of the same coin. God, help us to have eyes to see the gospel. And for believers, Lord, in 2021, help us to live, not in fear. Help us to be freed up in the liberty of the Spirit to be filled with the knowledge of your will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that we walk worthy of our calling. God help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Brother David is going to lead us in a verse. Uh, you have an opportunity uh, to come to Christ today and believe the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only one son that whoever believes, condition, whoever believes in Christ shall be saved. Amen. And shall not perish, but have eternal life. Let's stand and sing. Is like the Lord our God, strong to save, faithful in love. My debt is paid and the victory won. The Lord is my salvation. Glory be to God the Father. Glory be to God the Son. Amen. Did they get the picture to you guys up there of our newest members? So. Yeah. Doug, Amanda, Ethan, Charles, Fast. Uh, they're, they, they're actually close. They live very close to the Holy Land. They're only 75 miles from Athens, Georgia, right? Where I was born and raised. So these are the Fast. They're actually, they come to us from Boiling Springs, uh, South Carolina. Uh, he is an administrator at Mercy Hospital, and they love the Lord. They trusted Christ, and those four joined in our first service. So we want to introduce you to the FAST family and hope that when you see them, they're in Sunday school now, but you'll greet them as new members of our church. Amen? All right. Happy New Year. God is good, right? Amen. Uh, just commend you as a church family uh, through 2020, unsettling times, giving, uh, attendance, sacrifice is evident, and let's pray that we live as a church that truly believes that God will sum all things up in Christ. Amen. Amen. Pray for Lacey, for, uh, the, let me see if I can get these kids right, Lacey. You're going to be surprised, right? No. Alan, Stanley, Phil, Pam, right? That's the four children that belong to Miss Clara Lee. That funeral will be for tomorrow. I, I appreciate our church family so much. Even yesterday, with the way it was, for Mr. Ortis's funeral, people came, supported, loved that family. And so, same thing for tomorrow. That funeral will begin in here at 2. Visitations at 1. Okay? All right? God bless each of you. Uh, Happy New Year. See you next Sunday.